0: Hi, and welcome to the KC Praxis Teaching of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message from Jake McGregor. All right, you guys, welcome to the Kingdom Community Podcast. Uh, this is actually Monday, August 22nd, and I'm actually re-recording the teaching from last night. Uh, we had a great night, had a baptism, um, lots of good stuff. It was just a, an amazing night at Kingdom Community. Um but we didn't have it live-streamed. And a part of the reason for that is that our longtime live-stream coordinator, live-stream director, Daniel Unterholzner, uh, has finally had his prayers answered and found a job. And so he's moved to Louisiana. Uh, we've been praying for this for a long time, and it's funny when you pray for someone uh who you really love and respect and need to leave, and God answers that prayer, you're kind of left with, okay, what now? Um, And so if you know of anybody that wants to jump in and help us with some of our audio visual, specifically some of our live stream, we would greatly appreciate it, Um, but for right now, I think this is kind of the way we're going to do it, is we're just going to record this as a podcast um, and hopefully those of you guys who weren't able to make it can get something out of it uh, so again last night we had a baptism it was really great uh, Gabby Padilla who's been a long time part of the 180 um, and I say long time I mean it like legitimately her older brother was one of the first kids to ever come to the 180 and I can remember her mom coming around with little babies and I think Gabby was legitimately one of those little babies um, and she now works for the 180 she's an intern with us um, she's been a part of kingdom community and she got baptized last night And so anytime there's a baptism that I'm going to be a part of, uh, I always remember in my mind this story out of the book of Acts in chapter 8, a really tender story where a man named Philip um, encounters an Ethiopian along a road in Israel. And this encounter is um, such that the Ethiopian is so taken with the story of Jesus as Philip shared it that he's like, where's the first water? I need to get baptized. I need to do this right now. Um, And so originally I was headed again in a completely different direction with where I wanted to go with the teaching, but all week long I couldn't get this story out of my head. Um, And so I want to invite you to read this story with me. It's in the book of Acts in chapter 8. Grab your Bible, um, open it up. Go there to the website on your smartphone, whatever you need to do. And I just want to read this story with you. And then I want to make a few observations about it because I think there's something really powerful here, not just about baptism, but about the way the church is in our world and the way God reaches us. Um, I think it's going to be worth your time. So Zach's chapter eight, uh, starting in verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is just the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was like a sheep led to the slaughter, and a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. That's actually a quote from Isaiah 53. Verse 34. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, this prophet Isaiah, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Backpack fell just now. (laughs) Um, Okay, beautiful passage of scripture, and I want to give you a little bit of background as to what's going on here. So the story so far in the book of Acts has been about Jesus' followers basically working to tell people about what Jesus did, Okay, And they've been doing this in their homeland, um, among their home culture of Israel. So these people, the Jewish people who lived in Israel, had long believed that a Messiah would come and bring redemption to the world. And so these early followers of Jesus, after the events of Jesus' life and death, are basically going around saying, you guys, it happened. The Messiah came. And miracles are happening everywhere. And people are being healed and bondage is being broken. Hope is being given. I mean, beautiful things are happening. These are just wild, wild times. Uh, But the problem is that these religious people, especially their leaders, had completely missed the point of what happened with Jesus. They had come to believe that Messiah would come to bring redemption to their people, but like only their people, the Jews. Um, There are lots of other reasons that they missed the point, but this is one of the main ones, is this cultural isolationism that had taken place uh, among the Jewish people. The rest of the world were seen as outsiders. And these religious leaders had become very exclusionary, demanding that people live according to their strict moral and societal laws if they wanted to be included among what they believe to be themselves, the people of God. So it's kind of like religious people being very judgmental about people not like them, which is let's um, it's almost like I'm glad we've moved on from that, right? Religious people being judgmental. Hmm. <laughs> the problem is that they like any group of people who their religion has just become very religious. The problem is that they had forgotten their own story and they forgot something elemental about their God, which is that he loves the entire world and everyone in it. And he's basically, the whole story of the Bible is, is a rescue mission that God has been on since, since everything fell apart, right? He wants to show these people that he loves them right? And so the whole story of scripture is this long journey of God through a temple and through a people and through a king any way he can to show the world what he's like. And so their story is religious leaders, right? Who are being exclusionary. Their story, their own story is of a God had, who told them over and over again throughout their own ancient texts, you are to be a light to the nations, right? God says, you are my people, among the world. You are to show the world what I am like. That was their identity. That was their calling. And so one of the really important stories that takes place in the book of Acts, in these early days, right? these wild days of the early Jesus followers, um, is that they're empowered to share the good news of Jesus in every language. And it's in Acts chapter two, people from all over the world are gathered in Jerusalem. And the miracle is that tongues of fire come to rest on the followers of Jesus and they share the good news in everyone's native language, right? It's like God reminding people, this is who I am. My story is for the whole world, all the people, no matter where they come from or who they are, right? The curse, there's a curse being broken here. <laughs> we could get into it. It's the curse of Babel, right? But the point is, I am, the, my, I am for the whole world. The world is mine, and I love all of them. But the Jewish religious leaders don't get it. They double down on this exclusion tactic, right? And they're so frustrated by these Christians that they start persecuting anyone who follows Jesus. They're super threatened by change. They're threatened by the potential loss of their power uh, by a whole lot of things, one of which is the idea that people not Jewish, not religious, not like me, are now being invited into my story. How dare they, right? And so it all culminates in these religious leaders having a man named Stephen put to death for talking about Jesus. But then Stephen, as he's dying, he's crying out, God, don't hold this against them. It's like, you love them. This is their story. Please forgive them as he's dying. And that kind of like opens your eyes to one of the things that marked these early followers of Jesus is it's the opposite. It's a radical grace. It's radical inclusion and radical love, no matter who it is. It could be a Roman soldier, part of the army that oppressed them, right? Could be a corrupt tax collector, these ancient IRS agents, (laughs) It could be an intolerant religious tyrant who is literally putting them to death. The followers of Jesus loved them all right up to the end in some cases. I think it could be said that we've lost some of this in our modern version of Christianity, right? I've got a good friend of mine um, named Kent Carlson, a mentor of mine. Uh, he's been a, a just a cheerleader from the sidelines of um, of Kingdom Community, loves what we're doing. Uh, he he says over and over again um, in some of our conversations that the church, especially these last few years, has just kind of been awful um, in the way we have postured ourselves toward the world. It's hard sometimes to distinguish the church from a political movement. Um, and you can have whatever opinions you want to about that, but I think it, it kind of has to be said that the world um, looks at us and they don't necessarily feel this sense of inclusion, right? Exclusion is what, for whatever reason, uh, the perception out there that defines especially evangelical Christians. Um, And so there's some ways in which we've forgotten our own story as well, right? That's a whole other sermon. Um, But these early followers were radically, radically inclusive. And they were that way because over the course of these early days and these early stories, God did some radical things to remind them of who they are, to remind them of their story and who he is. And the story of this baptism, this Ethiopian, is one of those radical moments. One chapter after Stephen is put to death, the followers of Jesus start to get scattered because they're basically running for their lives, right? Uh, back to Acts chapter 8, right? And, uh, and and so you have the followers of Jesus scattered throughout the world, right? And this man named Philip, we assume um, that he's like in hiding because his best friend has just been put to death. Um. he gets told by an angel of the Lord to head down a desert road. And so at this point, Philip has seen enough, right, like of what Jesus has done and what God's doing that when he hears this angel of the Lord talk to him, he knows that's not his, his mind speaking to him, right? He's like, okay, I'll go, God, whatever you say. God is on the move, I am on the move, right? And so he goes, Now, the other character in this story is the Ethiopian eunuch, Uh, and this is someone who could not be more different than Philip or any other two. At that time, Ethiopia meant somewhere further south than modern-day Ethiopia. It was uh, further south in the upper Nile, further north than Kenya. Um, So it was a black person from upper central Africa, Right, this Ethiopian. Um, So skin color different, culture different, race different. he was a eunuch, it said. A eunuch is someone who was being basically groomed for leadership within a royal court. Um, And so that meant that this person would have to be constantly dealing with royal family members, including the queen. Uh, The queen, uh, her name, uh, every Ethiopian queen for a long, long time was named Candace. Uh, And so Candace would have to be constantly dealing with these other uh, assistants, um, the royal court. Um, And so if you were a man, who wanted to be a part of the leadership in Ethiopia, the cost of entry for that was that you had to be sterilized. Um, in practice, it meant that a man would have his sexual organs removed. Uh, so there would never be any involvement right, between this person and any female member of the royal family. Okay, So right away, these people could not be more different in this story. Philip is a Jewish man, Okay, raised his entire life with a strict set of codes, raised his entire life to believe that his people and only his people were qualified to know and follow God. But now Jesus has changed all that, reminded them of who God really is. And now here is this black person from Africa, as far away as you could get in the known world, who had been permanently sexually changed, right? For a Jew, this person was completely other, defiled, basically, right? Like this is a barbarian, defiled barbarian, not my people, not like me. And I want you to notice what God does, right? God, by the Holy Spirit, is very, very clear in what he wants to happen here. Uh, In verse 26, an angel puts him on a specific road, right? Headed, there's like a collision course here, right? And then once he finds the Ethiopian, the Spirit told Philip, this is verse 29, "'Go to that chariot and stay near it.' Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet." And when it says stay near, this is a moving royal processional, right? So he has to like run, basically imagine him running alongside uh, this chariot. Like, hey, <laughs> how's it going? <laughs> I see you're reading the Bible there, right? That, that's, that's the scene here. Do you understand what you're reading? What does this say about Philip's God? What does this say about our God? If you're paying attention, it should jump off the page. For this God Everyone is invited into the story. For this God, there are, at this point, no longer any barriers at all for him. Race is not a barrier. Culture is not a barrier. Gender is not a barrier. Jesus has come. The world has opened up. There is no barrier between anyone and God at all. Okay? If you step back and read the whole act story, You see God doing this over and over and over again, pushing and forcing these Jesus followers to get out of their comfort zone, to get out of what they know, and to invite and embrace people who are different than them, right? The whole book of Acts is basically about this, at least all the way through Acts chapter 15, right? As God pushing them beyond their codes, their purification laws, their religious practices, everyone is now invited to come and know this God because this God loves them all. And so, Philip, I want you to run up to that racially different, sexually altered man who is nothing like you and stay next to him. I'm about to move. (laughs) You guys, this is something, again, it's like basic to our faith as Christians and something that we need to remember is that God is in the business of inviting people outside our own categories to come to know him, okay? We're very comfortable inviting people like us. Maybe we're not comfortable inviting anyone, lot of us, right? But at least they need to be people like us. But the story in the book of Acts is God inviting people very outside, outsiders, outside their categories, not like me to come to know him. And it is him doing it. And Philip, in the Philip story, he has no choice, right? Because it's like, God's like, go there. And it's a command. Because the work of Jesus is to find us and reconcile and redeem all the world, no matter where and how he finds us. And just kind of as an aside, this brings up something else. One of the conceptions that people tend to have about religion in general, and that conception goes right to Christianity, is that this religion has a religious uh, figure, right? Some religious leader uh that gave their followers a way to get to God. In Islam, you're given a strict set of rules to follow, right? In Buddhism, you're given an eightfold path, and the leader in that religion has given you this way to try to find or work your way toward God. Each and every major religion in the world does this, except one. Because in Jesus, we're not given a way to find God. We're given a God who comes and finds us. And there's a pivotal difference there, right? In Jesus, God finds us. He doesn't ask us to go find him. He doesn't ask us to change anything or fix anything or do anything differently or change our identity first, right? Or at all, really, in order to find him. He comes and finds us, no matter where or who we are. This story is about God finding this Ethiopian on a road, right? Philip's just kind of an accessory here. God finds him, right? And in Jesus, God came to find you and I. We don't find him he finds us. Hugely important distinction there. Now, to me, the most important question that you have to ask of this text is why, right? Why is this person so very out of place in the story? So very different from the usual suspects in the Bible up until now, Jews. Okay. Why is this person in Israel reading the Isaiah scroll? What is going on with that? Right? This is a person who doesn't belong. Uh, and the author, Luke, is brilliant. He knows that this is an out-of-place figure, and especially the first century readers would l- read this and go, wait a minute, one of these things is not like the other. Right? What is he doing? Why is he reading our Bible? Um, what you realize immediately reading this is this is a person who's left his country hundreds, maybe more than a thousand miles away, and he's gone all the way to Jerusalem to worship at the Jewish temple. He's left his own religion, his own people to try and find something. Um, why? First, again, he's a eunuch, which in ancient cultures, almost all ancient cultures, but especially his, if everything landed right as a eunuch, it meant you were a person of enormous status. Um, I think sometimes we hear about a eunuch and hear about this person that's been castrated and we think something horrible has happened to this person. And to the Jews, it was absolutely appalling. Uh, But in his nation, this was actually a sign, in some ways, that he had reached the top of the heap, right? It says he was in in charge of the treasury, which meant he was the CFO, right? He was the lead financial authority figure in his country. Ethiopia was extraordinarily wealthy in these ancient days. So this is a person of enormous power. So he's at, he's reached the top. He has power. He has success, but in order to get there, he had made a huge sacrifice. He's a eunuch, right? And whether it was something done to him, or whether he chose it, or whether he somewhere in between, we're not told. Okay. More important was that this would have absolutely changed his identity. Because in our day and age, okay, we get our sense of identity, our self worth from our own achievements, and so if we are the CFO of our country, that that's like huge identity, right? That's a huge identity marker. This is who I am. I'm a leader. I'm, I am, uh, at this political power. Okay, for so if we are in that place, it's that's that's a huge identity marker. But in this ancient time, self worth came not from achievement, but from your family standing. You only had honor, you only had pride if your family was known and, and was honorable. Okay, honor and standing was passed by blood from parents to children. There are remnants of this story in our world today, the royal families we have, like in England, um, or even some of just the families. Downton Abbey uh, is about a family right, whose wealth and stature was passed from parents to children. Um, the family name goes on. And in this ancient culture, this kind of honor was everything. Which is why this person, this Ethiopian, uh, who had to sexually alter himself, right, he did that because he wasn't, they didn't want him to taint the royal bloodline. So on one hand, he has all this power, but on the other hand, he had to give the one thing away that would have allowed him to pass that nobility on. Think for a minute about how lonely that would be. He's different. He. Is an outsider. He has money, but no home. He has power, but no place. Even the possibility of family and connection of, and of being known and of being loved deeply, that was gone, right? Nothing, no legacy to pass on. So this thousand mile journey that he's on, I think it's coming from a place of deep lostness, like deep internal crisis. This is why he's traveled a thousand miles. He's His own culture, he's left his own religion. He's left his, because none of that could fill the void. The power and the prestige couldn't fill the void, right? It would have taken him well over a year to go on this journey. So he's put his whole livelihood and connection to the royal family in jeopardy. Somebody might step in and take his job. So you have this first layer of this story, which is these cultural barriers, right? That that God is charging through. But then in the second layer, it's much more personal. It's a deeper level. I think it's something that we all understand, which is that void in the depths of our souls that we're all trying to fill, right? Where will we find that? So this man is on his way to the holy city. drink a coffee here. I apologize. It's a very sensitive microphone, so you're gonna hear that. (laughs) Um, So this is what's going on, is this man is deeply lost, okay? Um, Now, just from the text, we know that his journey ended in despair. Because after arriving and leaving, he has the scroll of Isaiah and he still doesn't understand it. Nobody has taught him what it means. The reason why is because when he arrived to the temple, they would not have let him in. The Jewish temple and all of its worship was um, under the law of Moses. And the law of Moses had all of these rules about who could get into the temple and who couldn't. If you touched a dead animal, you couldn't get in. If, you know, if if you hadn't gone through this ritual purification uh, process, you couldn't get in. Uh, And we don't have time to go into the the reasons, all the reasons why the temple was always meant to be a symbol. Right? It's one of God's ways to get back to us, but it's a symbol to convey that God is holy. And so if someone wants to worship in the temple, they can't just walk in, right? They need to consecrate themselves to recognize uh, symbolically that they needed to be clean, something needed to be done to recognize their sin before a holy God. And a strict interpretation of these Mosaic rules meant that the Ethiopian eunuch would never be allowed in, never. Because according to certain Jewish texts, this person would have been made permanently unclean. Which means that this man went to all this trouble, traveled untold miles through untold dangers to be excluded, to be left out. He was looking for an embrace and he was excluded. I mean, can you even imagine? And I wonder, I wonder, right? How many folks out there, this is the way they have experienced Christians, this is the way they have experienced the Christian religion, is looking for embrace and finding exclusion. Um, really really interesting things going on in this story you can interpret them the way you will Um, but I think this story is about exclusion and embrace in some ways it is about um, this man who is longing, looking for something and this religion has lost its way it's lost the plot Um, and so it's now about the things you need to do in order to get in and the reasons that we're excluding you the reasons we're keeping you out um, and so then on his way home, he's still reading the book of Isaiah, okay? It's almost like he's stuck there. He's poring over it. Something in it has captured his attention. And we know the part of Isaiah that he's reading. If you look at verse 33, he's reading what we know as Isaiah chapter 53, um, which is a part of the servant songs, okay, in, in Isaiah. And it's about someone who was humiliated, someone who's been cut off from his descendants. Uh, As he's reading this, you guys, he's reading it and he's going, I just don't understand because this book, this story, their Bible is about someone who's gone through what I've gone through, right? Someone cut off from their descendants. And at that very moment, as he's reading that very passage, this dusty Jewish person runs up alongside the chariot and says, Hey, hey, do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand what you're reading there? Now, let's just assume, right, Philip climbs up into the chariot and begins to explain it to him. And let's just assume that where it says that he began from that very passage of Scripture to talk about Jesus, that's literal. He began there and just kept reading that passage of Scripture. A few paragraphs later, Philip and this eunuch would have come to this verse that says, Come to the water, all who are thirsty and drink. And then a couple paragraphs after that, he would have read these words out of Isaiah 55. This is Isaiah 55.3. It says, And now let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name, better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. He's reading and he's going this God actually will invite you into his temple. the temple will be made available to you right That is in this book. this God can give you it says an identity better than sons and daughters right An identity that tr- that transcends family an identity and a name that will endure forever. The suffering servant in these passages, the one who makes all this possible. Now I want you to imagine Philip explaining this and realizing this is what he's reading. And he's going, listen, my Ethiopian friend, the suffering servant here, this is none other than Jesus Christ. He became the lamb who was slain. He became a leper for the lepers, right? He went to the very depths of our humanity and became like one of us. All of the depression and struggle and anxiety and everything else we feel and go through so that he could invite us to something better, something good, something that lasts. He experienced the ultimate exclusion, right? He went to the cross so that we, all of us, could be included. And when he went to that cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The ultimate cosmic exclusion, he experienced that. He's gone farther away than any of us ever could so that we could come close and draw close to this God and be included in his family. Right? and given a brand new life and become brand new creations with a new inheritance. <laughs> you guys, it's no wonder this person who was once so lost, and he's reading this and he's hearing this about this God, it's no wonder that he found the first water he could so that he could go and be baptized. Uh, we have this baptism, and, and baptism is about recognizing all of this, right? It's about recognizing that the thing Jesus offers is more precious than anything I could possibly discover on my own, more precious than any identity I'm searching for or even trying to change to gain, more worthy this Jesus is than any of my other pursuits, more valuable than money, more fulfilling than respect, right? Baptism is our way of saying, I'm leaving all of those pursuits that led me nowhere. I'm leaving them in the past, Right? All those ways that I've missed the mark, and that's all the word sin means, is the ways I've missed the mark, the ways I was after something that would not last. I'm leaving that in the past. I'm going into this water, and I'm washing away my former idea of what defined me. I'm washing away my sin. Right, I'm washing away the things that I thought made me valuable, all the struggle and the broken ways of trying to find my identity in something else. I have now found what I'm looking for in Jesus. Because in Jesus, I found someone who knows who I am, who knows me inside and out. In Jesus, I found someone who, far from demanding that I work harder to find him, he comes and finds me exactly where I am. In Jesus, I found someone who, instead of reminding me that my suffering is somehow my own fault, I chose this, right? Jesus doesn't say that. He comes and he walks and he suffers with me. He feels deeply the pain and the doubt that I feel, right? Walks with me and weeps with me and then invites me to hope in something new. Hope instead of despair. Inclusion instead of exclusion. Worthiness and security in his arms. When someone's baptized, they're announcing before everyone that they are a brand new creation. I am leaving behind my former life, right? Buried in the likeness of his death and raised in the likeness of his eternal abundant life. This is what we. This is why we do this whole baptism thing, right? And I think this story captures it brilliantly. Now, to wrap up, I just want to challenge you, okay? Just a little bit, because hopefully, as you're listening to this, it stirs something up in you, right? For some people, it's going to stir up longings, right? Like, I feel that gap. I feel that hole. I've been trying to discern what's happening out there in our culture. I've been trying to discern this. This heavy search for identity that's going on out there, right? In all the shapes and the forms that it takes, right? A political identity, a gender identity, whatever it is. And I feel that and I'm watching it happen. Maybe it's happening in you. Maybe it's happening in someone you know or love, right? And there's a recognition in this passage that that is a part of what it means to be human. And God would send someone. God would come to find you. I wonder if God wants to find you. Or maybe you're Philip. And I wonder uh, if God might want to send you as an instrument of his finding. Let's just say it that way. Um, this is the reason that we founded Kingdom Community as an extension of 180. We founded this as a little church because we have a sense that God God wants to send us, right? He wants to send us running, not walking, out to this broken world to bring his hope there to people who thought that they were excluded. I wonder if there are people in your life or or places where you've had this unshakable sense that God wants to go there. I wonder if that voice is for you. Philip is in this story. uh, He's in this place. He's on this road for just an instant, just a tiny few moments, just long enough to run up to a chariot and sit with someone for a few minutes. And then he's gone. I wonder if there are moments that we miss in our daily lives, these fleeting opportunities to listen and respond to the Spirit stirring up inside of us, this one moment where someone voices something and you ask a question and then you have an opportunity to pray for them or to walk alongside them or to provide a meal or whatever it looks like. I wonder. There's a strong Christian tradition that says that the Ethiopian eunuch in this story took Christianity back to Ethiopia. He took this new hope back to his home country. And so for centuries, leading right up to this very day, the northern and central part of Africa has thrived with the gospel. It's where some of the oldest original churches are. Uh, It's an ancient Christian place. And the tradition goes that this Ethiopian uh, was the beginning of that. And what that would tell us is that Philip's obedience in this moment was multiplied exponentially. And so I wonder... Are there moments in my life, in our lives, where we might need to recognize and heed the voice of the Spirit in us? We might just need to say yes. All sorts of food for thought in this little passage. Um, I hope that this is helpful to you. I hope that it's a blessing. Um, there's lots and lots going on with Kingdom Community. Um, somebody, one of our uh, core team members, um, Leader said, we're a tiny little church, uh, but for some reason God has seen fit to let us punch above our weight. There is, <laughs> there's just so much mission. There's so much potential out there. Um, if you're listening to this and you're like, man, I just have to get involved. I have to go. I need to say yes. Um, call me, email me. Uh, you've, you've got the email address. Uh, talk to one of us. We would love to get you going. Um, if something else stirred up in you and you're like, I, this is something for, I need to make that choice, right? Maybe you want to be baptized. Um, maybe that's stirring up in you. Have a conversation with us. We would love to talk with you about what that's all about. Um, but you've kind of heard it here. You get it. Um, have you made that choice? Do you want to make it publicly known? Let's go there. Um, all right, you guys, there is a lot left to do today. It's a Monday, lots going on at the 180, but I appreciate you giving me some time. Um, we will hopefully see you next time we gather together. That's going to be the Sunday of Labor Day weekend. We'll probably be low-key that night, uh, but we will dive into the scriptures. We'll have some beautiful time together. Please, please join us. All right. We hope that you enjoyed this week's teaching. To connect with us and for more resources, you can find us on social media as Praxis or email us at kcpraxis at 180lodi.org.